Moving my head? Yeah. I'm laying it off? Well, that too. I'm pronating? When you're not supinating. I'm clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My God, my swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. I look like a fool. What the hell do you think you look like shooting them chili peppers up Lee Jansen's ass? Well, we're waiting. All right, golf fans, welcome to a very special Fairways and Dreams podcast. This is Jeff Hartman. I'm calling this the two-man scramble. That's what I'm going to call these podcasts whenever I get a guest on. You get two people involved. I've got a really good golfer with me this time. It's Ken Keller. Ken, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and, and people might be wondering, how in the hell did you get Ken Keller? And even the guy that's even close to a professional golfer on your podcast, you just started the podcast. Big shout out to my uncle, Dave Stuckey. He is the one that connected Ken and myself. How do you know Dave Stuckey, by the way? I'm curious because he's my uh, uncle. Know, I'm just curious. <laughs> I know him through the legendary Greg Mathis at Shady <laughs> Hollow Country Club. There you go. There you go. Everyone my, knows you. First, my first swing coach, Greg Mathis. There you go. Fantastic. Well, welcome to the podcast. I, I do thank you for taking the time. For those that might not know who Ken Keller is, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Like where, did, where are you from? Where did you go to school? What are your accolades? We'd love to hear it. Well, the, the biggest thing about me is I am an addict. I'm addicted to the game of golf, which is the most frustrating yet humbling and good addiction there is out there. Um, but I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, and, uh, you know, I, I grew up there. I, I went to high school there. I went to college at Youngstown State University and, and now am pursuing professional golf. And I've been playing golf since I was the age of about four. So most of my life has revolved around golf and the whole journey that's brought me up to this point. When did you start playing competitive golf? Because, I mean, we all start, you know, chipping in the backyard with, you know, going to the putting green or whatever, driving range, you name it. When did you start playing competitively? I was, I think, eight or nine, eight or nine years old. I started playing U.S. Kids events in Cleveland. Okay. And then it and just transitioned into, you know, more junior events into high school and into college from there. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I have no way of comparing myself to you, but I did play high school golf and the pressure and the pressure I put on myself, this was not anything that was out from the outside in. This is all internal pressure. I put on myself almost made me hate the game. And I've, I've talked about that on my podcast. Have you ever gotten to that point where you almost oh, feel yeah. like burning out? Like it's, it's, I, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. If so, has it happened multiple times? When was the most recent? Several times. Um, the most recent being in April of this year, I was playing in my final mini tour event of the season. And I believe I shot 75, 84. And I, you know, my mother was there with me and I told her that I had not felt that way on the golf course in a long time. Uh, it was just one of those days where nothing was going your way, no matter how hard you tried or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I've literally thought to myself during those two poor rounds, is this really what I want to be doing? You know, I'm, it's great. I'm down in Florida. I'm living a great life trying to play professional golf, but it's really, really frustrating to, to play that poorly and to be in that much of a 
mental, a difficult mental state. Um, and I did find myself saying, is this really what I want to be doing? Is this the game that I love? So yeah, most recent, not, not too long ago. So what got you out of it? So, I mean, you, you get in that mental space. It's a dark spot. It, it, you, you talk about something you've been doing since you were eight or nine years old competitively. And now all of a sudden you're thinking, is this even what I want to do anymore? I mean, that's, that, that is very drastic. So what gets you out of that? That's what I'm curious to hear. Well, every time I've played really, really bad in a tournament, it, it stings quite a bit. And it's so fresh in your head as you're on the golf course or as you're walking to the car in the parking lot. But you know, once things start to settle down, you realize that you're just getting back to your everyday life and golf isn't life or death. You know, yeah. for guys that are trying to make it, it, it is in a sense life or death. But compared to other things in the world, it, it really is a privilege to have a bad day on the golf course. Um, yeah. But I would say time, time healed it for sure. And just realizing that there's always going to be another opportunity. And you're not going to play bad every time you tee it up, and you're not going to play good every time you tee it up. That's just that's just how it works. It's a great way of summing up, you know, golf in and of itself. So here you are in April. You're contemplating whether this is the future that you want. You just came off of a really bad performance shooting the 7584, as you put it. And here you are now getting ready for the second phase of Q school. Now, for those that may be listening that don't know what Q school is, it's qualifying school to get your PGA tour card. That's a big deal. You've already gotten through the first phase. Now I've, I've read the books. I've listened to the, the podcast and all this stuff, literal horror stories for golfers about guys that have completely fallen apart. When I was put in touch with you and I found out that you had already gotten through the first phase, I was really anxious and excited to hear is it as bad as they make it out to be? Because they say that it is so mentally draining. What is it like for someone that's been through it? So, you know, it, it's easy for me to speak highly of Q school right now because I've, I've had success this year. Um, but it is a mentally grueling and exhausting week of golf because you are competing for so much. And I know that I've only played in pre-stage and stage one, but even at, even at pre-stage, you know, there's a lot of pressure and you're living and dying and your heart is pounding on every single shot coming down the stretch because there's so many different outcomes that can result from one golf shot. You know, it can yeah. determine your future. It can determine, you know, whether you make it or not. Um, I think that, Q school is definitely very difficult, but it all depends on how you handle it mentally. And I think that that's something that I've gotten much better at in the past several months, but it, it is very hard and you're it's, it's a war, but at the end of the day, it, it really is just golf, you know, whether you're out playing with your buddies for fun, whether you're practicing or you're playing in the biggest tournament of your life, that golf ball is still sitting there. It's, it's not moving. It's, it's sitting on grass. You're the one swinging the golf club and there's a target several yards down the fairway. So I think that at the end of the day, it, it just comes down to how you handle yourself mentally and understanding what a great privilege it is to be competing at this level. And that's pretty much how I can sum it up. So you talked about your first swing coach. 
golfers go through a lot of swing coaches. We've heard the huge names. Most of them have obviously worked with the big name players, whether it's your Butch Harmons, your Hank Haney's. We know all those names. Have you done any type of formal mental training? Because you just said that the game of golf is as much mental as it is physical. And the fact that you have to be able to control those emotions and be able to get yourself through something as grueling as Q school. Have you done anything formal in that regard? Absolutely. I have. And I would like to shout out my new mental coach, Joan Ash. She is a mental guru on the golf course. She was a Latin teacher at Boardman high school. She was, and forgive me if I'm wrong, if you're listening to this, Joan, but you were a golf coach, a track coach, and I'm sorry, but I forget the third, but after that tournament in April, I said to myself, I want to learn how to have fun on the golf course again. And I was starting to think of people I knew who, no matter what the situation was, they were able to have fun on the golf course. And she was one of them. And she's a, a close friend of my mom's. She's in her golf group. And every time, you know, I would see her on the golf course, she was so free spirited, so calming, so relaxed and so positive. So, you know, I've started talking to her quite a bit. She's watched me play in tournaments. I have explained to her every last mental thought that's gone through my head. And she has helped me so much with regards to understanding how my brain works and how I should be thinking on the golf course if I want to perform at a high level. And I attribute a significant amount of what I have done during this stressful time of golf to what she has helped me learn over the past several months. Well, let's go down this rabbit hole for a second. What what kind of did she, what did she do? Was there a lesson that she taught? Was there a, maybe a saying that you stick with it, that sticks with you in your head that you kind of do to, you know, focus yourself, whatever. I think of the movie for love of the game. Not sure if you've seen it where Kevin Costner is a pitcher and he uses that clear the mechanism and the whole stadium as he's pitching on the mound at Yankee stadium just goes silent and he's able to focus. What, what exactly are you learning from this mental guru, as you put it? The, the biggest thing is, you know, living in the moment. And, you know, the biggest thing that she has taught me up to this point is the most important shot in golf is the next one. It's not the 10 footer to win the tournament or the tee shot on the 72nd hole. It's the next shot you face and the shot you're standing over. And, you know, that has helped me so much. Um, she has, you know, helped me understand tension versus nerves because nerves is a great thing. Nerves means you care. You know, everybody's nervous on that first tee shot, not because you're afraid of where it's going to go, but it means you care where it's going to go and you care how you're going to do. So I think there's a difference between being nervous and being tense. And, you know, I've come to get used to both of those two feelings recently and i'm able to control that a lot better now and you know she's just always told me to trust my process trust my work and trust my routine i've been playing golf for a long time i've been fortunate enough to get a lot of reps in on the golf course and she's told me that i need to remind myself how important it is to trust that process and trust that routine Great stuff, man. And it seems to be working as you've already gone through Q school phase one. And, and like you said, the, uh, the pre round there. So what is, what is next? Let's say you play well enough that you get through the second phase. What is after that? Do you get your tour card after that? Or is there another round? You do, but there's a lot more to it. Um, 
getting to the final stage means you're officially a Corn Ferry Tour member, but that doesn't guarantee anything. Um, the higher up you finish at final stage, the better status you're going to get. The lower you finish at final stage, the worse status you're going to get. But you're guaranteed either conditional status or full status. So top five guys at final stage get their PGA Tour card. And then I think after that, it's five to 30 or six to 30 get their Corn Ferry card. They get full status on the Corn Ferry Tour. And then 40 to 60 gets partial status. And then after that, you may get one or two starts. So the key is, number one, getting to final stage and then continuing to perform at an elite level because the higher up you finish, the better status you're going to get. So you have how many? So you, final stage is still awaiting. You have to get through Correct. this stage to get to that. How many golfers do get to final stage? I believe... Uh, I want to say anywhere from 120 to 150. Some of those 120 to 150 have played on the Corn Ferry Tour last year or the PGA Tour last year, and where they finished in the points depends on whether or not they go straight to final stage or if they have to qualify for it. Um, and I'd say 75 to 85 spots are determined by the people that qualify out of stage two. Um, golf's very complicated with regards to getting and turning professional. So, you know, it, you obviously you want to advance through each stage of Q school, but then there's some guys that played on the corn Ferry tour last year that finished, you know, in so-and-so or a certain place in the standings for that year. So then they get assigned to a different stage of Q school. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So is this your first, how many times have you attempted to go through Q school? This is my second time doing it. I played last year, but um, failed miserably, to, okay. point, to uh, put it bluntly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think last year, not getting out of pre-stage helped me realize that, okay, this is just golf. This isn't the end of the world if it doesn't go your way. And, you know, focus on what you can control, which is playing your game to the best possible level you can. I mean, if things go well, you advance on to the next stage. But if things don't, how many times are you going to give this a go? Like, have you thought about that? Do you let yourself go down that mental path or is it just focused on what's what lies ahead? You know, going into it, when I decided I wanted to turn pro, I would always say I want to do this for three years. I want to do this for five years. But I think the, again, and this kind of ties back to my mental approach to the game now, it just depends on what I'm feeling in that moment. Yeah. Um, when it's time to call it quits, I'll know. But I can guarantee you one thing. Um, I've been on the grind for two years now, and I do not plan on stopping anytime soon. Love to hear that. I love to hear that. Now, I hope we have learned, everyone that's listening to this is going to start checking out those scores and rooting for Ken Keller. Uh, let me ask you some – you mind if we do a little rapid fire here to Literally. finish out the podcast? So it's going to be – just some basic questions. You can elaborate. It doesn't mean you have to answer quickly. This can take as much time as necessary. Some will be golf. Some might be other sports related. Let's start off with which club are you more proud of the driver or the putter? Right now the putter. Um, I think the driver has always been a strength in my game, but right now the putter has been pretty solid. As a recent. Okay. Good. Hey, driver show putt for dough. What's your favorite team format? Any type of team game, what's your favorite format? 
I, I always enjoy playing scrambles, especially with my friends and it's for a good cause and you're out there just having a good time. Bombs away. That's fun. Mm -hmm. I, I always love it. What do you think? What is your favorite major tournament on the PGA? Um, this is going to be pretty normal, but the masters, but I think okay. that the U S open is great, but the British open has a feel to it that no other major has, you know, waking up early in the morning, watching link style golf and all that wind and all these, you know, historically famous courses. So, yeah, there it's a shocking how many people actually like the British. I've had people say they like the British more than anything because it's more of the roots of the game. I'm with you though. I love the masters. Uh, what are, do you have, do you have sponsorships at this stage of your career or. I am sponsored by mom and pop LLC and okay. myself. So no, there you go. So what's your, <laughs> with that being said, what's your preferred company? Like what, what is in terms of let's go with clubs first? Um, well, I just got tricks on irons and I love them. You know, I've, okay. I've had Mizuno for a while. It's a great club. And I decided to, make the switch as they say to Strixon. And, you know, so far they've been great. You see, so do you have Strixon woods as well? Like what's in the bag? Uh, Taylor made woods, Strixon irons, Titleist wedges, Vokey wedges, and a Scotty Cameron putter. Nice. What about your preferred golf ball? Pro V1. Pro V1. I love it. Now this is something that bothers me and it shouldn't bother me, but it bothers me. Are, should joggers be considered appropriate golf attire? Um, <laughs> The, 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 the clothing so game has transcended itself a little bit. You know, you're starting to see these, <laughs> these, these mock necks and, you know, the hoodies on the golf course. So it, it's hard for me to say, but I guess it depends on the color and how it looks on the person. So are you, but are you, are you a classical guy where you say, hoodie I, am, I am a classical guy, but occasionally I'll wear a hoodie on the golf course. Okay. Cause I'm not wearing, I'm not wearing joggers on the golf course, but I see guys wearing them and I get it, but it's just, that's a trend I cannot get behind. All right. So you're, you're old school. I like it. All right. This is going to be a tough one for a lot of people. Tiger or Jack. I mean, I grew up watching tiger, but you know, if, if I lived through both eras, I feel like I'd be able to give you a definitive answer, but I've that's always true. been a tiger fan. Okay, what is your least favorite rule in the sport of golf? The one rule that you say this is just absurd. I can't believe this is still something that. Um, oh gosh, that's a, that's a good question. I, I might have to get back to you on that one. I don't want to waste <laughs> too much time here. I'll tell you what mine is. If you hit the ball in the fairway and it's in a divot, you should be able to move it out. Like that's not yeah, your that's... fault. Like you shouldn't be penalized for a good drive that someone else didn't do their job in course maintenance. That's what I hate. But that's that's, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. I think the one ball rule is a little, a little sketchy. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I get it and I, I've never breached that rule. Um, but you know, a pro V1 to a pro V1 X isn't that big of a deal, but I get yeah. it. If you're, if you're on a, if you're into the wind and you want to hit a top flight on one hole to keep the spin down, I get it. That's, you can't yeah. do that. Yeah. All right. Let's do uh if, if you didn't golf, if, the, if that wasn't your sport, your favorite, what sport would you play? Um, well, I probably would be basketball. Okay. Probably basketball. All right. We got three more. What's your favorite golf movie? Oh man. Caddyshack. It's original, <laughs> but the the beginning of that movie just is I love it. I love it. It's you do drugs, mean... Danny? Oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Good. <laughs> Good. 
Caddyshack is always the top. Uh, how about what, what's your uh, the philosophy on music on the golf course? A lot of people are very anti-music, uh, especially if you go to country club settings. They'll say no golf, no music. Some people it, love it. Where do you stand? It just depends on the setting. Like, you know, if I'm going to play, say, Oakmont, for example, I get it. You can't blare music where everybody can hear it. But if I'm playing it, you know, a public track with some of my friends and we want to play music, I think that should be fine. But, you know, with respect to everybody else on the golf course, obviously. Do you like to listen to music when you golf? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, if I'm practicing, I'll occasionally listen to music, but then there's times where I don't want to listen to music to kind of simulate the silence. I like it. What about any last one here? What about any superstitions? Do you have any superstitions so in the game? This, that is, you always this is a good question. I, I don't have any specific superstitions, but I might be the most superstitious person you've ever met in your life on the golf course. Like, you know, if I'm three under through five holes and I haven't written any of my scores down on the scorecard, I'm not going to start writing them when I'm three under through five. You know, if I, if I have a T that I'm using, that's, a little bit broken, but I'm riding with that mojo. I'm going to continue using that T, but there's nothing, there's nothing set in stone that I follow every time I play golf. That's really interesting because, you know, a lot of times people have like a pre-shot routine and that's their superstition. They don't feel right unless they do well, that, but you're saying you're just going to ride the hot hand, whatever that is, whatever. Well, is, I think I'm the pre-shot, I think the pre-shot routine should always be consistent, but I don't, if you want to consider that a superstition, then yes, that is something of mine that I try to do all the time. Yeah, I think there's a definite, you know, differential between a pre-shot routine and someone that is like superstitious about certain things. Like maybe it's the way that they tee their ball up or something like that. Um, but I agree with you. I really like that thought of how you're just going to ride that. Whatever's working for you, you're just going to keep doing it. Now, I do have to ask you before I let you go, because my Uncle Dave said you're a Steelers fan. You're a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Is that accurate? Yes, I am. Well, well, you're in luck because I'm a big Steelers fan, too. What do you think about the team this year? You know, they, they're five and three and I, it, they're, they're five and three and I, I hopefully six really, and three when this goes out, <laughs> I hope so too. And they, they find ways to win. I don't get it, but they do. And the best thing that the Steelers do is they bring their opponent down to their level of play. Yeah. And it just, it, it's, it's their style and people knock on Mike Tomlin, but the guy's never had a losing season. Might it happen this year? It certainly could, but I mean, they're five and three. And if yeah. you watch the, you look at the point differential and their offense, don't even get me started on the offense. Cause you know, I don't want to get your podcast canceled here, um, but <laughs> they just find ways to win and I don't get it, yeah. but Hey, I like winning. I always have. Absolutely. So. No doubt about it. Are you, are you a, a Kenny Pickett supporter or are you a skeptic? Oh, that's a tough. Uh, it's <laughs> really hard for me to answer that. I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because I think that the offense could be worked a little bit better than it is. But I think yeah. that, you know, being a quarterback in the NFL is really, really hard. And, you know, he's very young and, you know, as a guy that's trying to be a professional athlete, I can understand the difficulty. So, yes, I, I am. Very good. Well, Ken, I thank you for taking the time. I do want to give you an opportunity to plug anything. You know, maybe you have a, what, the social media handles if you want to promote those or if there's anything that you have going on that you want to promote. Now's the chance to do it. Go ahead. I want to give, I want to tell one story from yeah. stage one that is very, very important that not a lot of people might know. Um, so I got through on the number four under 
And the final round of Q school, I was one shot out of the cut line. It was a very long period of time from when I finished that third round to started to starting that fourth round because I just wanted to be on the golf course so bad. But I was two under par through 13 holes inside the number. Hadn't made a bogey all day. Hadn't really made a mistake. And I got to my 14th hole, 190-yard par three. I was swinging, swinging the ball great. And I chunked it in the water out of nowhere with five holes to go. I was pretty close to drawing dead. But, you know, when you're at this level and something like that happens, you need to remember that, you know, your focus needs to be on the process. Like, if I'm going to get out of stage one, it's going to happen with me making a double bogey on the 14th hole and recovering from it. So I end up making double and I knew I had to play my last four holes two under par. And I hit my tee shot on 15 right down the middle of fairway. And I looked down at my yardage book and uh, there was a pencil in there that my mental coach had given me that says, never, never, never give up by Winston Churchill. And I looked at that and I said, you know what, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to give this everything I got. So 115 yards, middle of the fairway into a slight breeze. I pull out a pitching wedge. I get over the golf ball and I don't know what got over me, but I can tell you for a fact that I've never felt more comfortable over a golf shot in my life. And I said to myself, man, isn't this great? You're out here competing. You're doing what you love and hit a great shot. And as soon as I hit it, I knew it was going to be inside five feet. And I watched the ball fly right into the hole. Oh, just an absolute slam dunk. That is awesome. And as you can imagine, I let all the emotions out and went absolutely ballistic. And I was very fired up. And, you know, you just canceled out a double bogey with an eagle. I had never dunked a shot in my life and I don't hole out often. I've never had a hole in one in my life, but to be able to do something like that in a moment like that, where you need to make something happen, it felt pretty damn good. I bet. And then, you know, I played the last three holes, even par to get in. And it was that hour to two hours from pulling out like that. to waiting and watching the leaderboard to seeing if I advanced was probably the most wild roller coaster of emotions I've ever felt in my entire life. So the bottom line is you just never give up no matter what. That's a great story. It's a great way to finish the podcast. Ken, I can tell you that I'm rooting for you. I'm going to be watching and I'm going to be keeping track of the scores. I wish you nothing but the best. When you get through, I want to have you back on to talk about all what's happening next. But Ken, thank you for your time. I do appreciate it. Have a good one and good luck. Thank you, Jeff. Can't wait. No problem.